Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, you already know I'm trained to go. It's about 8 o'clock for my favorite show. All the latest news on your radio. Yeah. Had to start a wave that I changed the flow. Y'all know who the best is. The Urban Collective. They know we the leaders. Every time you turn on your speakers. Every rhyme is just ether. See, I don't play in the booth. And every topic is serious. They don't play with the truth. See, what we do is inspire. Motivating the youth. And what you doing is tiring. We ain't hating on you. You see, we taking over. Do it cause we supposed to. With topics and logic that'll get you up off your sofa. And we getting closer. City right on our shoulders. Urban Collective. We do it for the city and the culture. Yeah. What's up, what's happening, y'all? It's your man and I see alongside. What's up, everybody? It's your first lady, Bernadine Truth. So happy to see your faces. Yes, yes. Uh, welcome back, everyone. I know it's been a couple of weeks. Always. <laughs> I feel like it's always, it's always like that at this point, right? It's just like, yeah, we'll be here bi-weekly. And then it's just like, well. <laughs> life. Yeah. Life. But I say the good thing is, is that we're still consistent as far as like showing up. Right. Um, and checking in with all of you amazing collective lovers and followers and supporters. We love bringing y'all great guests, checking in with each other. And I see. How have you been? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, can't complain. You're all vaccinated, right? Like 100 percent of the way. Yeah, completely vaccinated. So I'm ready to uh, get out there. I need to. Hit the gym. I weighed myself the other day. I was like, "Holy Jesus Christ!" I'm right there with you. Um, yeah. So I need somebody like to, to. I need somebody that's like gonna hold me accountable. Like I can start fine, and then like after about a month or two, I'm like, "Yeah." My goals, and I'm just like, "Yeah." I relax. So I need that. I need to do like a good six months uh, or so. But besides, that, I've been good. I can't complain. Loving life, enjoying myself, watching my son uh, go crazy now. He's starting to stand up and everything. So oh, yeah, so officially baby proof the house. Like every outlet is like plugged in. Oh, yeah, I, did yeah. That. I did that like since we moved in. I was like, you know what? Might as well do it. Back. Okay. And so all the outlets are the resistant type. So he can't stick his finger in there and all of that. But this dude's just like full of energy. I was like, bro, <laughs> it's like, relax. <laughs> relax, but hey, whatever. How old is he? Uh, eight months. Eight okay. months. Oh my God, he's going to be a year old in like a few Wow. Yeah, a year soon. So time's flying and he's just talking and just enjoying himself. What about you? How's everything been with you? I've been really good. Um, tired still. I feel like um, from class. <laughs> honestly, like just having to juggle so much is it's just drains you. Like you don't you don't. Let me let me backtrack. Right. So we seen like work, school, trying to have a social life, which didn't really happen much at all. So <laughs> it was like I'm so serious. It's like finals and things. Have you ever had moments where you just go 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 go, and then when you have a moment of pause, like your exhaustion just hits you? Yeah. And like you're just like nonstop tired. I think that's how I feel. Like mm-hmm. it's taken me a while. Like I, I my energy fluctuates where I'm like, oh, I'm super energetic. And I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed this long weekend. I got to rest a lot. And so I felt really good about that. And then now I'm like, oh, back to the normalcy. And I'm like, oh, I'm tired all over again. Yeah. So I was watching the pictures. I didn't want to talk trash. I was like, you know what? I'm going to let her enjoy herself. 
Like, I see you posting pictures, you know. I'm like, of what? I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you know. Yeah, I'm posting pictures. I have, I have, I have officially decided to also share my significant other as a weekend. See, I'm not hip to some of the stuff. I didn't know you did it. I'm like, yo, she's been doing it. And then they were like, nah, 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 nah. It was friends only. I was like, oh, I didn't know. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and I think it was like a friends only thing for like a one or two. <laughs> like you couldn't even understand what it was. It was just more like friends, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, as far as like the post goal. And now I felt like this weekend was, my, you know how Memorial Weekend, in my mind, right? The, the RC side of me. Like, oh, Memorial Weekend's supposed to be like the start of like summer, new season, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, well, this is my new season. Well. <laughs> I love it, though. I love it. That's good. I'm happy. I'm happy. It was fault. Thank you. So it, it, was, it was cool. But I'm like, I got a lot of like, hello? Like, excuse me? <laughs> and I, think, I, think I didn't do it. Because I knew that was going to happen. I was like, you're No, I think you did it to one. And I was like, what, what's wrong? And then you didn't <laughs> respond to that. So I was like, okay. But no, um, he and I had a photo. And I think I I um locationed it with parents because my, my dog was in it. So it was like the mm. paw of a dog. Yeah, I saw that. One. And, that and that one, people were like, and it's a wrap. So here we go. <laughs> here we go. Um, and so it just went downhill from there. So, well, up hey. Right, but it's a sense of like everyone's just like, so who's this person? Don't act like I'm just gonna dismiss. They're like, don't, don't pretend like, don't just act like you're dismissing this picture. I know to explain details. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, but you know, then I'm like, I'm going back into my cocoon again <laughs> with regard to that. But it was just, it was very interesting to like just document and share some parts of my personal life this particular weekend. Um, I think a lot of people were like, where did this come from? When was this happening? So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you're enjoying yourself. You find someone that you can do that with. That's what matters. I'm happy about that. You know. Yeah, no, for sure. I'll wait. wait I gotta wait for the meeting for the introduction. What's I know. Listen, you and everybody else. People Mm -hmm. like. So when are we having a meeting? And I'm like, what? (laughs) You know. And then I mean, we've been out and about a little bit, and so some people have been, you know, have like met him in passing. And people like, no, 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 I wanted a formal introduction. I'm like, what is this? Like, I gotta invite people over to like a formal dinner somewhere. If y'all want to pay for it, then by all means, we will show up. (laughs) But you know, that's how people are. You know, my Instagram has been acting up. Every time I open it, it just yeah. starts playing stuff. But anyways, um, so yeah, besides that, we can get into the news and politics and everything. We usually start with, uh, what, entertainment, right? Yep. In the world of entertainment, i like to take a moment to recognize that it is, I think today, June 1st, 2021, is the official start of Pride Month, or Pride in general, um, as people have, have highlighted. And, or you know, so like, I just want to take a moment to recognize that. And so for anybody who's part of the LGBTQIA community, um, understand that the Urban Collective Show still supports you all as well. Um, we talk about diversity, and equity, inclusivity, and all of that in a number of areas. And so we just want to take a moment to recognize pride and i said with that as far as pop culture goes um i want to recognize the fact that Dwayne wade and the gabrielle union well, gabrielle union step what was stepson is now i think they're outright just calling him her yeah. um, 
water, like straight up um, celebrated her 14th birthday. And it was like a roller skating birthday party. And I also think it was like one of the first times that they officially again started just talking about their their child as like 100 percent just her and their daughter. And so um, they threw a birthday party for her, like I said, for her 14th birthday. It was like a wheels themed event. It was like a roller skating around the entire property. So many celebrities were in attendance, people who were fully supportive. Um, and Zaya, who's the daughter, looked really happy. And so I'm like, OK, like, you know, this is one of those things where I'd say in the black and brown community, in this area, not just for adults, but for children, I think is a new one, right? Um, I think for me personally, even anyway, as far as like observation, where you have a celebrity really take to the world to open up their family and their lives to their child transitioning publicly. Because I think I remember too, when this was just started, when this had just started, people were like, well, is this really the child's decision? Is this the family, Gabrielle Union, Dwayne Wade, like trying to, you know, get more famous off of this? Like what's going on? What's this? Is there a hidden agenda? Um, but it's clear, I think, as time continues to progress, that Zaya really felt this way, really believes in in that she is truly a she and in this in this reality and in the space. And it's a beautiful thing to see her being able to walk as her purpose and so young, which I'm curious to see how that continues to challenge our black and brown community, again, particularly around LGBTQ um, related issues. So happy birthday, Zaya. Happy pride to folks who identify um, and yeah, we're just here to support and here to be allies and, and, and friends to those in need. Yes. Also, we uh, had DMX's album, uh, his posthumous <laughs> album that just got released last week called Exodus. Um, he has a lot of features on it. Of course, you know, as you get older, the older gentlemen, they go after the younger guys to solidify them in the music scene. A lot of people are streaming it and everything like that. So help stream it because all the money is going to go to his uh, family and everything like that. Uh, also, we have Jay Cole that dropped his album the week prior and that went number one. But not only that, um, because of the way he released it so far, he's raked in almost two million dollars off just streams alone uh, off this album. It's been called one of the albums of the year so far. Uh, so hopefully some better albums, some more mu music comes out over the course of this summer as we get into people going back outside and all. And speaking of going back outside and all, I think that's a great segue into local news and politics, folks. For anybody who's in the Boston area who's looking to visit Boston, as of May 29th, Memorial Weekend, we has officially opened. We are officially open. What does that mean? That means all industry restrictions, like as all, as in like every single one, um, industry restrictions have been lifted with a hundred percent capacity allowed. Now, that like a hundred percent capacity means like, like seventy-five. Nope, every single that's a hundred percent. Okay, um, every single seated, every single venue establishment, you name it, is available to you. We still, I will. I still think reservations are still essential, in my humble opinion. Because I think, yeah, you know, oh yeah, like who's coming in and out. Um, gathering limits have expired. I'll say that one more time for people in the back. Gathering yeah. limits have expired, meaning that there's no longer this 10, 50, 100 rule. Um, mm -hmm. whether or not you're meeting indoors or outdoors. I'm like with a oh, and but there's an exception remaining on face covering requirements for public and private um, transportation systems, which I think makes sense, right? So I'm like, you're on a train, you're on a bus with people, like you still have to take care of yourself. Exactly. Not more, like, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, just you, it's public transportation, and I mean, of 
like right people will be like well restaurants are public clubs are public lounges are public. they are public but i'm saying like you are literally in a confined space i know space with somebody you, like you not know right like who is not at your table who is not exactly. at this part of your cruise so please 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 boston like yes we are reopened we are back to 100 percent capacity but respect the point of transportation. I'd even I'd even urge people who are in Ubers and Lyfts and all that to respect your drivers, taxi yeah. drivers. You just never know what you're carrying, what they're carrying, what the person before you who was in that yeah, that's carrying. the biggest thing too. The person that was sitting in that seat before you, you don't know what they had. You don't know if they sneeze, they cough. People now are not paying attention as much. If you hear somebody coughing, you look, but it wasn't like, you know, a year ago when you were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, 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 I still be looking. And every time I cough and sneeze, I'm looking like, who's Yo, do it, yeah. So I'm like, there's so you know, like when you choke on your water or you choke on your own saliva, I've had those moments in public and I'll be like, <laughs> you better hold that in. Yo, and it's that ugly face you make like that. <laughs> Like I'm dying, oh but I don't want people to think I'm like dying, dying. I know, I know. No, like, so what about you? How do you feel about going out? Like, TD Garden, I, I don't think I could go to a basketball game this year. Yeah. At least yeah. maybe the fall, but right now? It's I tough. So, I mean, you know, for those of you who don't know, I'm like the extroverted extrovert, right? Um, I went out, I was away this weekend and I was in a couple of places. I'll tell you, I think that the initial the initial reaction of being in a space with a lot of people gets to you, right? Where you're like, mm, mm. I'm a little nervous. But then I will say, like, the longer you spend, the, lo- the more time you spend in the space, you kind of become more comfortable or acclimated with it. Yeah. I think that in indoor, indoor spaces, I think I'll always be more hesitant of taking off my mask. But when I'm outside, I think it's totally fine. So New York just opened their, like, island, th- this, like, standing island park outdoor park that's just like so beautiful it's above water and all of that and um just being in that space i was like without my mask but it's because i knew that air was constantly flowing right yeah if i was in a whereas like boston i guess it was like a line around the corner and then sent to a club called venue this past weekend (laughs) you could not find me in that line one i wouldn't be in that line which is totally you know in right in the rain we had a rainy opening i'm kind of glad that it rained i was like Thank you, Jesus. Because if it didn't rain, everybody would have had a everybody would have worse. Barbecues would have been happening everywhere. People would have been partying in the streets like crazy. So that's what I'm saying. I was just like venue. The fact that like venue, you had videos of venue, which is a nightclub in Boston with lines around the corner in the like you said, and I see like in the rain. I'm like, first of all, y'all aren't gonna get COVID. Y'all are just gonna get pneumonia. Like hello, like can we still protect ourselves? But also, like, you went to it was like oh yeah forty five minute wait minimum I'm like but what but what my thing is is just like let me like I, like I really love to ask people and I'm not judging because I'm like to each their own you got to do what you got to do I was traveling so I get it right? <laughs> but I'm like did you really need to go to like the club this weekend like like yeah. the club like, like nah but hold hear me out right like it's a pandemic. We're dealing with it, whatever. You have the most time to play all the songs you wanted to play at home. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to hear it on repeat. With it's, different. <laughs> it's different. I know what you mean. Trust me. I'm one of those people. I'm like, like uh, every playlist was available to you. <laughs> I understand. For hours. But something about being in a club in an atmosphere, no, hearing true. the music, seeing other people's reaction to it at the same time 
there's certain songs you might hear a song like 20 times, but when you hear it in the club and you see the reaction, you hear the song differently. Even afterwards, you're going to be like, oh my God, I like this song. That happened to me countless numbers of times where I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. But then I sit here in the club, speakers are blasting. People, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you, you're right, right? Because like, I may or may not have stepped foot um, at a bar. venue yeah. that had like over 100 people. Exactly. This yeah. weekend to listen to I went to a fan, I went to a, a, a friend's gathering, and even like I, I was sitting on the side on the corner, there was everybody around me, and I was just like, <laughs> "But you're vaccinated." I feel like I, yeah, I, I still I, feel like <laughs> I'm riding. I'm riding on my natural antibodies. I'm just like I'm. You, I haven't you been hold off from getting vaccinated. I am. I am. I am. I feel like as a woman who. Um, you know, is this part of like the vulnerable population as a black woman, health, X, Y, and Z, just different things. Like I'm a healthy person, but you just never know. Um, and I also had COVID before. And so I feel like the COVID vaccine is to give you these antibodies that I have naturally. And so I'm just trying to figure out at what point am I going to to move forward with the vaccine? Like I'm, I know I'm going to be in classes in they person. I'm going to be working in person. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of like holding off until I truly feel like I have no other option because I really feel good right now. And like people say, it's not just about me. It's about other people I'm around, but I also do my due diligence around other people as well. Um, so it's like, I've like my circle who that I've been around have been consistent mm-hmm. when I'm around. Um, older relatives, like I am, I'm masked, I'm distant. Like I, I think I just don't really frequent those spaces a lot, but again, I do need to be mindful. And so I'm just like playing it out, playing by ear to see again, like how far I can go with it. But I say like my biggest concern for me right now is what you have said earlier, where you stepped on a scale and I'm like, Oof, you know, BPS, BPS made an announcement saying we're all going to be back Jan- July 6th. And so the, oh, first thing I heard to myself, the first thing I heard to myself was like, you need to go to the gym because you need to start wearing real clothes. So <laughs> I know. that was it. So that's, that's where my priority really is at this time. I started wearing, I wore jeans the other day. I was like, holy crap. I was like, why is it so tight on me? I was like, oh yeah. I stepped on the scale and I was like. Yeah. I wore this shirt. I wore this shirt on my trip that I wore like in October. Mm -hmm. And the shirt didn't fit me and I could feel it. And I was just like, oh my God. What what is happening? Like for a shirt to be kind of too big and then like tight. I'm like, it's a wrap. I gotta go. I gotta go. And I don't think like and the thing is like I know I was getting I know I was getting weight and everything, but it's like because you're wearing sweats and you're wearing t-shirts all day. I mean, like the same. And like I was just like, oh yeah, this is different. Jeans and everything. I was like, oh yeah, this is right. Yeah. Leave it. Leave it to a Haitian parent to tell you. So I went to go get. Literally today, right before the show, and she's like, mm, "Gerazin, you gotta do something. You have to do something. <laughs> go to the gym. I mean, this summer you have to lose this weight. What are you doing?" I was like, "Haitian parents don't care, man." I ask you. My mother looked at me and said, "She was like, okay." So I'm like, "I'm like, I'm like, damn." Like, first of all, ma, I know. I'm very aware, but why she gotta do me like that? For the summertime, like you have to do something, which is literally her saying, go to the gym, lose this. Evil. I know, but parents, it wouldn't be parents without that. Nah, they need filters. (laughs) Parents sincerely need filters. filters. Uh, Moving on to... uh, uh, homegirl Naomi Osaka. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, 
but she withdrew herself from the French Open, which is happening right now. Uh, and her main reason was, she said, is she's had um, suffered long bounce of depression, and it's because of the press. She's like, a lot of the times you go and you play the game, you're there, you're a player. You're not really thinking about the press. But with all of these uh, majors, they require everyone to do an interview. And it's not like you can just go in there and be like, oh, I'm not going to answer questions or whatever like that. You will get fined. So she missed one um event after her first match and they find her $15,000 and because of that she's like you know what I don't want to be a distraction I don't want to cause all this to be about me uh, but I'll withdraw and then we'll be able to talk to the people that are running these majors to figure out a better way she's like I don't want to answer questions but a lot of the times a lot of the questions have nothing to do with the sport they're asking me things about oh, how do I feel about this? How do I feel about that? Especially in this past year, she's like, there's a lot of times that she was answering questions about COVID, about how she felt in government and everything. And she's just like, it's not that I don't want to take a stand, but at the same time, I'm here to play. And then when I'm being asked these questions before a game, it throws me off completely. And then after the game, same thing. You guys are asking me these questions and I start thinking, oh, did I answer that question correctly? Was I good enough? You know, because you're on the world stage. Everybody's looking at you and they're looking at you to say, oh, what's right? What's wrong? You know, how do you stand on this? What are your views? Right. You, you, reflect, you reflect the position. Exactly. And with her, she's just like, I'm an introvert. I don't really like to have, you know, the limelight on me. So now that it's on me, I'm always already a little scared. And then now on top of this, I'm being bombarded by these flashlights and 30 people asking me a question at once. It's too much. Um, so some people have kind of come out and kind of talked about it and spoken against the French Open like, hey, you should just tell her, OK, you know what? Let's limit the way the questions are happening or anything like that and work with her instead of just finding the girl. Now she's out uh, of the tournament. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if this starts to change the way they do it in the future uh, or if they're just going to be like, you know what, we don't care. This is the way it's been done. You know how like some organizations, this is the way it is. You don't like it, find something else to do. And that's one of the downsides sometimes in the industry. But um, as a player, especially tennis, you're on that field by yourself. Nobody else. You can't talk. It's not like a team. It's like, like it's not the doubles that you're playing with a team. You're on there by yourself against your opponent. So, your mind, you need your mind to be right. You cannot be down, you cannot be pressing, because once you start losing, all the doubts and everything comes up. I mean, and we saw that with Serena too, right? Like her opponent at a point in time. And when you know she had a moment where it was she 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 did let her emotions get to the best of her, but like everybody has the right to be emotional, right? And so it's just like where's that balancing, where's that ground? So I give I give Osaka like her props at 23 years old to say, hey, listen, this is my life. I appreciate this. Yup, you know, like I'm the first Asian to to have this position in this type of ranking. Like, you know, she's multicultural at that. And so I'm like, here she is doing what she has to do. But again, and recognizing, like you said, like the importance of self-care. So I hope that this continues to push forward not even a trend but a necessity in balance and in really enforcing that level of like self-care with your profession and I also think to people who are don't even play sports like this is that message right like there are times where we cannot truly perform or give our best because of other rules or policies or procedures and mm -hmm. expectations like take a moment before you end up doing something you don't want to do or performing in a way where you know you can't truly perform take a second, breathe, reflect, assess, yeah. 
and then regroup and join back in. So I hope she continues to take care of her and, you know, the industry just supports folks. I mean, we've seen a lot of people, I say, on a tennis field, on a basketball court, you know, on a football field, whatever, like lose their temper and lose their cool. Like it, it happens, you know, I mean, I forget which sport I think was it was it football or basketball um, where I think like somebody realized like while they were playing, a relative of theirs had passed away. Right. Like these things like happen. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like real life happens. And, you know, like she was saying, like, I don't want to always have a conversation about other elements. Not to say I don't take a stand on things, but if you're here to interview me for tennis and interview me for tennis so that I can just stay focused, have that mm-hmm. to then proceed accordingly. So, yeah. And then in other news and sports, you had our uh, uh, Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets that um, was complaining about Boston and how the people at the TD Garden behave. And of course, you know, he said this right before he came to the Garden. A lot of people were saying that, well, you know, him saying that is going to entice people to want to reach out and lash out. Um, So the second game that happened the other night on Sunday night, uh, someone threw a bottle. It didn't hit him, but it missed him. It just passed right in front of him and missed him. The gentleman was arrested and everything like that. But a lot of people going back and forth saying, oh, Kyrie deserved this because he kind of enticed the crowd. But at the same time, you're hearing not just from him, but from other players, uh, players that's played as opponents and come in here in the garden. They always tell you Boston is one of those locations that they really let you have it, but not just let you have it. They dig deep. They dig into your family They'll talk about your family. They'll talk, you know, racial stuff and everything like that. And you're supposed to take it. And the weird thing is, over the past week in the NBA, you've had a lot of um, stuff that's been happening. You had a fan that spit on another, on a player. Like, I'm sorry. Wait, Um, why? Like out of rage or? Yeah, no, like, yeah, it was uh, this young player at Atlanta Hawks in New York at at the Garden. Uh, Madison Square Garden went in there. Players coming on the sidelines about to pass the ball and then bound it. As he's standing there, he's sweating, so he probably he didn't even realize it. But the fans stood up and just <laughs> right at him. And like you're like, why would you do that? Like in the streets, and that's one of the things a lot of players are saying. People would never do that. They would never come up to you in the street or anywhere else you see me and spit on me because you know I'll whoop you, up, you know, behind. Why would you do it? Because you're in an arena. You think like. Once you get inside the arena, the rules are still the same. Everything still applies. It's not that you can get in here, say whatever you want, spit on people, throw drinks, throw water at people, and not expect them to change. Same thing happened. Um, I forgot who got popcorn thrown on them uh, also while they were walking out of the game. And this has happened, like, and people were like, okay, is it because people have been cooped in and now people are being let out? And they just okay, don't- lost, lost public game attendance etiquette. It's like, what happened? We like, first of all, we never got a cold book to go to a game. You just knew how to act. So, like, stop being and know how exactly. to act. Exactly. Like, when people say that, I'm like, no, nah, that's not an excuse. I'm not going to take that. People know exactly how to act. They know what they're doing. And especially, like, that young man that threw that water bottle, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew, hey, I'm going to throw this water bottle. He said specifically, Boston's a bad group. I don't like being in Boston because Boston is, has these racial undertones that they do all the time. I don't care. I'm going to do it. It's like somebody saying, oh, I have the gas in my hand. Should I put it on the fire? <laughs> He's like, yep, I don't care. It's yeah. just up that fire. So we'll see what happens. The NBA right now, they're, they're considering like, okay, you know, pushing the fans further back. Uh, but not only that, 
they also are thinking of prosecuting. So in Boston, the gentleman, he's getting prosecuted. Uh, and actually, I think he was arraigned as of today because it happened on Sunday and with the holiday weekend and everything like that. He was arraigned today. So in the past, it would be like, oh, you just be banned from that stadium. Now they're like, no, 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 that's not enough. The players are like, you can't just ban someone. If it happened on the street, somebody like, for example, the gentleman that spit on somebody, you would be going to jail. You'll be facing, I forgot what's the, um, what do you get charged for, for spitting on someone? But you're not supposed to do that. It's actually a crime and you can go to jail for it or get fined and everything like that. That needs to happen with these people that are inside. These yeah. It's a assault. So. Yeah. Assault is real. Battery is real, right? Yeah. So it's a dangerous weapon. I mean, unless they determine that this saliva itself was a dangerous weapon, mm-hmm. not sure um, for the physical harm element of it, but no. you just never know. I would say certainly assault for sure, because that's just not okay. Yeah, I'm sure my mind. <laughs> Can you imagine someone spitting? I mean, on yeah, but I'm like, you know, and when I hear people spitting on people, I naturally think about the racial undertones of things. Um, yeah, like that's just unfortunately what traditionally happened was like people would spit on you. They'd be like, oh, well, I don't respect you, mm-hmm. whatever. So, you know, I need Boston to do better. I need I need people who go to games to do better. Like y'all, come on, we can't just have the city opening it up, opening up, and then y'all feel like y'all can throw popcorn, tomatoes. Bit people just because so, Mm-mm. but I am happy, like I said, that the city is opening up. Boston, shout outs to you! Mm. I'm looking forward to seeing what Boston looks like this weekend. It will be nice this week, the weather will be warm. Yeah, it's it's, it's gonna be crazy. I, I think it's gonna be crazy this weekend. We have a lot of people that's coming back that went out of town now that are back in town, also. So, those people are gonna be looking up. Oh, it's my first weekend here, it's June. Weather's like 80 degrees this weekend. Yeah, but I I still I feel like I don't necessarily think our weather is fully consistent yet. Because we had those warm days. And when I tell you that this past weekend was cold and raining, like that was disrespectful. Um and it was almost like it wasn't warm for the weeks before it and the days before it. So I'm like which I think is what made it feel even colder, right? It's just like you can't go from like feeling like you're in 80s, 70s, whatever. Borderline. We were even in 90s at a point in time. Like you can't you can't come from that and then be like boom, here's 50 degrees, figure it out. 60 degrees, figure it out. And then 50 degrees, 60 degrees with rain, cut it out. So this weekend, I'm looking forward for it to be nicer, but we shall see. We shall see. I need that consistency. (laughs) I know, I know. Yeah, hopefully it'll be better. It'll definitely be better. Yeah, most definitely. Is our amazing guest of honor on or not yet? Not yet. We're still waiting for him to join um, on. So I guess we can go cover our last topic and hopefully he'll join by then. Sure. So in the uh, other uh, local news uh, and national news, you have all know today uh, is the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa uh, massacre. If you don't know what it is, look it up. I'm not going to explain it. (laughs) Uh, But today, the president, uh, President Biden actually spoke about this. And um, one of the things that he really wanted to do is acknowledge it because a lot of the times in the past hasn't really been acknowledged by our presidents and everything like that. It's kind of one of those things that's like glance and pushed in the corner. I mean, nobody really talks about it. Um, but today he was able to speak about it and not only speak about it, but is trying to put uh, money and things behind black families, black businesses and give them more money 
Um, and one of the quotes that he said today is that this was not a riot. This was a massacre. And that's one of the things that no other president has really said. Um, so the one thing I will give Biden is he tells it like it is. He's not one of those guys that's going to sugarcoat stuff for you. He'll tell you, no, this is this is what this was or this is what this is. Um, so thank you, Biden, for acknowledging that. And hopefully we'll be able to change and uh, fix things uh, for these people that are not these people, but blacks and minorities that are still to this day uh, experiencing these inequalities all over. Uh, and see the effects of it, right? So Tulsa, Oklahoma, like our Black Wall Street, to has truly, truly existed over a hundred years ago. We talk about when we talk about justice, when we talk about racial justice, um, financial justice, equity, inclusivity, all of that. Like it's about finances, right? Like it's not, it's not. It's a hidden confidential information that Martin Luther King was one of the individuals that was assassinated shortly right after he started talking about um, equity, right? Then racial divides, but through the lens of money and saying like, listen, like all of us need to really understand the importance of the dollar and how far it goes. And we need to understand that our racist infrastructures keep people poor intentionally. And it's not just black people, but it was also white people, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's important for us to have those kinds of conversations. And so- like you said, Biden has taken a stance on this one. I'm still waiting for him to come for school loans, but whatever. Uh, you know, I don't think school loans are happening. Pause on this next question. Um, as we are still talking about something negative, which is the nation of Black Wall Street, which is terrible, right? To have massacred so many people, but you're right. I think it's amazing when um, our leaders, right, our, our leaders, our elected officials um, take a stand on something like that, particularly for Tulsa where people were given weapons um, specific, I, I feel like I just kind of pause here, but specifically for Tulsa, where white people were given weapons even by city officials at the time to destroy Tulsa um, and to, to, well, to, really, to really execute on such massacre. So you had elected officials then giving people weapons to destroy an entire community and you have an elected official right now letting people know that that was in fact a massacre and we have a zero tolerance policy for such behavior. So let's continue to see what justice looks like in our communities and in our world for the times to come. Yes. You all right out there? I know we live. What's up? I know. Sorry, sorry. I'm trying to do stuff in the background. Uh, but also in local news is um, we also have a lot of people that's been saying that they are receiving bills for their COVID-19 shots. Um, if you're a resident of Massachusetts, not just Massachusetts, anywhere in the United States, uh, the government has provided money. That's what a lot of the bills that came out that gave you, you know, your little stimmy and everything and those bills. They were included so that the cost of the COVID-19 pills will be covered by the federal government. So if you are receiving bills, make sure you call your um, office or your doctor's office or wherever that is to make sure that they remove that bill and they clear your name so that you don't have people going, you know, your name going for collections or anything like that. So you're not supposed to receive a bill for COVID-19. It is covered by the government, by the United States government on the federal level. Uh, the money's been allocated and put there. So every state and every local place has it uh, on it. So make sure you stay on top of that. Now we're going to bring our guest on. Hello, hello. How y'all doing? Hello. Wow. How are 
Ew. I'm black tastic. Zero complaints. <laughs> I like that. Fantastic. <laughs> That's the new one. So, ladies and gentlemen of the Urban Collective Show, it is that time where we always have a great honor and privilege, or to the best of our abilities, have the honor and a privilege to um, have a special guest from the greater Boston community on air to share about their story, their journey, and the work that they do. Well, we like to call them here as we recognize them as celebrity guests. So, for this segment, we have the honor and privilege of highlighting Don Corminer, who was born in Los Angeles, California, but raised in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, but has lived in Roxbury since 1989. He is the brand ambassador for the Don Firearm. He has been a public school educator for the last 15 years, where he focuses on creating opportunities to close the achievement gaps for Black and Latino boys. He also serves as a facilitator for the rights of passage work for Black and Latino young men, which is essential in the city of Boston and beyond. Don Corp believes education is a transformative process that should liberate young people. He says responsible to responsible to a is a healing modality that um, and do not be triggered by the events of the world. So again, in recognizing that um, he's transitioned into the world of like, again, being a firearm instructor. Becoming a firearms instructor has been an effort to keep folks from engaging in the in, excuse me in illegal firearm activity and to overcome their fears from the trauma that may have crippled their lives prior. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, and others of the Urban Collective Show, we'd like to introduce you all to Doncor. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Is my camera right on your side? Yeah, no, you're perfect. Okay, good, good. Yes, yes. So, Don Cor, we love to just have conversations with our guests on the show, get to know you a little bit, have you um, give you an opportunity to share much about like your like details of your story, your journey, how you came to be here, ask you some mm-hmm. questions regarding like your stance on the world, um, how it impacts all of us. But I'd like to start off with uh, a specific question, just knowing again like where you were born, where you were raised, and still where you made a home. Right. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. I feel, as a as a Bostonian, as a first generation Bostonian, at that. There's often this debate that transplants just come here, use up Boston resources and bounce. And they're like, peace, came here for school, came here for this internship, came here for this one job, whatever the case may be, I'm out. But here you are, right, um, having come here since 1989 and having Boston at home. So, like, what are your thoughts on your journey here and, like, why you decided to stay here in Boston? Talk yeah, to us I mean, about that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I love, uh, love Roxbury. Um, not only just the, the history of Roxbury and how it uh, came to to be, but uh, sp- particularly uh, my narrative. You know, my mom had this thing that even though we was on Section 8, she would rather live in a shelter than live in any other neighborhood. And that happened. <laughs> so my mother was like, nope, not until a house comes up on a uh, homestead. <laughs> we got to go to this shelter real quick. And uh, so I always had this this uh, dream to live on this cul-de-sac here in Roxbury that I live on now. And, um, you know, I've, I've uh, been living here ever since, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I definitely um, love the city. Uh, I think the beautiful thing about being from, from Boston is that, uh, you know, it's extremely diverse, you know, whereas if you go to other places, there's usually, you know, the ends of the spectrum, black, white, Asian, you know, uh, Latino, you come here and it's like you got seven ethnic groups within each of those categories and you got to learn all the cultures, you got to learn all the language, you know, um, all the little dialect pieces. Um, so I always love that about the city. 
you know, is, is being able to, to listen to someone speak and be able to say, oh, you know, I think you are from such and such place and not just categorizing everybody in a monolithic box. So definitely love the being. That's what's up. I know you've been here. You've taught here. You inspire young people here. You travel with people here. And I won't say too much more about what you do because we love for the audience to hear from you. But it's awesome to be able to hear that somebody has chosen to make Boston their home. And thank you for sharing that story about your mom, too, where, you know, it's not easy to live in a shelter and bounce in and out um, with that level of instability to then become stable. So congrats to your opportunity to truly make Boston your home um, by way of upbringing through a shelter system. Yeah, man. And I see you take it away. Yeah. So what made you want to get into the education field? Um, was it something that happened, you know, in high school, you fell in love with it? Or was it later on in life that you said, OK, you know what? I want to teach and help other people out and kids. Yeah. So um, so I had the opportunity to go to an all boy Catholic school in Nina. And um, my senior year, we spent half the year in school and then we spent the second half of the year doing community service. Um, and the second half of the year, I was uh, partnered with the Epiphany School. And I had this young Cavernian young man um, that uh, they had paired me with and they tasked me with trying to teach him how to read. And, um, you know, he's in like fifth or sixth grade and, uh, you know, struggle with English a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I grew to, you know, I, I feel, you know, awkward saying it, but I grew to love this young man. You know, he was an awesome young man, you know, and even though he struggled with the language, um, he has so many other skills and wisdom that sometimes, you know, in order to even open the book, you know, we had to spend a lot of time building and, and getting to know each other. So we did that for about four months. And um, at the end of my, you know, um, community service project, you know, he had gone to Cape Verde. And when he came back, he gave me one of these bracelets. And uh, I've never mm. taken this taken this off uh, for, what was that, 2001? So, you know, 21 years. Um, you know, Joao has been kind of like the center of, you know, my inspiration to become a teacher because with just with dealing with him, I saw a lot of inequities, you know, because I always wonder, like, yo, how did this young man get all the way up here? And and people did not peep that he had potentially dyslexia. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is crazy. You know, he's 10, 11 years old. And, um, you know, no one really kind of put their finger on it. So um, so after I, I went to undergrad, um, my sixth grade English teacher from the Timothy Middle School, you know, he reached out to me like, no, you know, I know you just graduated from college. You know, what are you going to do? And I, and at that time, I was just working at an after school program. I didn't really have a plan. So um, so he got me a substitute gig. And then, um, you know, same situation. I was creating creative writing curriculum trying to engage young people using hip hop as a way to get them to journal. Um, mm. So I was kind of like a, uh, I call it class reflective writing. Um, and it turned, it went from reflective writing. Then I became an English teacher at the Tobin. Um, I left the Timothy. I was at the Timothy middle school teaching the same school that I had gone to for about five years. And then I left and went right up the street to the Tobin, um, both Roxbury schools. And um, I taught English uh, for sixth and seventh graders there. And, um, and that was ultimately how I got, you know, into teaching. And I started doing young men's uh, uh, groups at the schools, at both schools. Um, my most successful years, I would definitely say, were at the Tobin. And um, 
and uh, just kind of accelerated from there. Ten years later, you know, still doing similar work. That's awesome. And when you talked about um, facilitating, well, the journey again through being who you are in your natural element, you know, it often does just take one, right? And that's it. It takes one in on both sides of the spectrum. As an educator myself, or having been mentored by so many people, or mentored people as well, right? Like. It takes one teacher to change the trajectory of a student, I believe, or one person who can inspire a, a, a student to go the, the extra mile or really achieve beyond their wildest dreams of, of, of legacy and impact. But it could also take one person or one teacher to destroy a child's dream. But I think it's going towards the direction of the firearms, too. Right. And so here you are influencing people and being a role model and creating pathways for young people to, to be inspired and to travel the world, which you didn't share. But I know some of your work and I know you take people to see parts of like Africa and just like travel again beyond their backyard, which is powerful. Um, but now you also are transitioning into this world of like firearms and being like an instructor. So what what inspired you to do that? Like, where did that thought yeah. come from? How long have you been doing that? So I had, um, so I've been mentoring young men for a really long time. And um, this whole Don Firearms thing came up as a, as a joke. Not necessarily a joke. Um, how, how do I, how do I want to put this? Um, there was a group of young men that I, that I was working with. I'm still working with them. You know, I consider them my little brothers mm. and, um, uh, you know, there was a bunch of them that were like, yo D we not going to college, you know, um, that's just not our wave, you know? And at that time I was transitioning from being the educator. I used to be like, nah, you got to go to college. You got to go to college. And I had to like, I kind of had to humble myself to be like, yo, I love these young men. They bring a lot of gifts to the world, but mm. they don't necessarily know what to do if college is not the avenue. Right. So the Dawn Firearms, yo, it literally started off as as like a way for me to model what I wanted from my young men. So mm. it was like, all right, so look, bet. So here's what I love. Y'all know I love guns. I had already had my LTC for many years. I said, all right, I'm going to show you how to make a hobby into a business. So I went and got the EIN number. After the EIN number, I started teaching in my living room. From teaching in my living room, you know, I showed them like, yo, look, you know, take this money, reinvest it back into the business. You know, I got the website. I got, you know, uh, different uh, materials that I needed for the business. And, and the whole time I just show, um, was continuously showing them, you know, how to do it, you know, and I'm very proud to say that three of them you know, uh, have their own businesses that I'm very proud of. And on my wow. personal Instagram page, I big them up all the time because I've known these young men since they were 11. You know, to see them running their own businesses is humongous. And one of them has even gotten um, a huge state grant um, to do a cannabis uh, growing company. So, like, I'm really, really proud of him, you know. Um, you know, so that's how this whole Don Farms thing got started. It was, like, trying to model um, for them, you know, how uh, to, to, uh, make a career or a business out of a passion. Yeah, no, for sure. And so, but I'm like, I think firearms is also one of those nuances that can be very complicated, particularly in the black and brown community, right? Where mm -hmm. it's just like, 
it, you know, we talk about police brutality where where our lives are taken at the hands of police and at the hands of these guns. We talk about poverty. We talk about scarcity, right? Where again, people are like we're killing each other based off violence when you don't have and you're protecting territories. You know, it becomes complicated. There's there's mm-hmm. levels to this conversation, but here you are right now teaching people how to legally and rightfully have access to carry, right? So you talked about LCC, which stands for the license to carry, and that's the license you have for quite some time. What has been the process? What is the process um, like of becoming a license, like in a firearm instructor yourself? Like, how does one do that? What does that even look like for us on a day to day? Yeah, I mean, um, being recognized by the city, the state, yeah, the state. state. Yep, yep. So you definitely have to, you know, get your credentials up uh, to be able to apply and get recognition from the state. Um, You know, so I did that. And uh, once you do that, you know, it's just like anything else. It's about owning your craft, you know, taking time and opportunity to to build on, you know, your content, uh, making sure that you know it, uh, stay up to date on whatever whatever's new um, and what pieces are old, what works, what doesn't work. So I've spent a lot of time, um, you know, taking courses. I tell my students in classes all the time. I'm like, listen, for every class that I teach, I take a class. So if you see on my Instagram, Um, you'll always see like every month I'm taking at least two classes. So that way I'm constantly honing my own talents and gifts. So um, that's definitely uh, something that I, I um, take very seriously. Um, But I want to backtrack a little bit because I think you had made a point, but uh, didn't follow. I thought it was going to be a question afterwards, but um, about the healing part of the the work that I'm doing with the firearms piece. um, I already, and that was going to be my next question. I was like, oh, so okay. I, well, go ahead. No, go ahead. Thank you for of it. Cause I'm like, yeah. I, will, I will say this cause I, I want you to touch on these types of these categories as well. Right. So like you mentioned the healing and I want us to really focus on, you know, guns and the presence in our lives that it has, but like, you know, what, how does one maneuver through the realities of being a life, like a person who's licensed to carry or just having a gun Right. Understanding the fear that's associated with guns, understanding the, the necessity that some people feel like they need to have with the guns. Right. Understanding the need that people feel like they have to have um, to address their the need to protect themselves, the rage that they have combating racism and justice. Right. So, again, it's like so, so convoluted and so many layers to it. How do how do you, again, like make sense of it and, and teach your attendees to make sense of all of that? Yeah, I mean, I I try to keep it as simple as possible. <laughs> you know, I think you you uh your your point is exactly you know what a lot of people deal with, and that's approaching it from a cerebral standpoint, right? Like, if you try to intellectualize racism, you already fail. I mean, racism in America is as you know deep as American pie, right? In our in American culture, so trying to take that and break that down into uh, fragments. To be able to understand it, it's just not possible. So what I, for me personally, that's my judgment. Um, but what I do is I try to get people to understand some of the most basic essential necessities, which is protecting myself and my loved ones. And that's it. At the end of the day, you know, that is ultimately why so many people have uh, gone out to get their firearms license, particularly after the death of George Floyd and the riots that were happening ac- across the country. You know, 90%, uh, not 90%, sorry, but uh, I think it was like 900,000 
um, you know, new black female gun owners in America, right? I mean, that's a huge number, you know what I'm saying? That needs to be taken into consideration when thinking about not only traumas that, uh, you know, the black community is experiencing, but particularly um, the traumas that uh, happen to women. So uh, transitioning into this work, you know, from having done a lot of the rite of passage work was actually really simple. Um, it's just a different modality um, mm -hmm. and thinking about moving away from the classroom space um, and into the range, which is which is interesting, you know, because when I'm standing there, you can see those. I get to see people who are impacted and affected by trauma, particularly gun violence trauma. You know, mm -hmm. um, I've had 70, 70 year old men, you know, whose sons were shot you know, over on age block. You know, I had a woman in my class whose son had just been murdered in Heath Street and she was sitting in my living room, you know, and she's like, listen, you know, the punks that took my son's life was stopping them from coming back, you know, like, so, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, for the black community in particular, we look at the firearm from a, a deficit lens and particularly a, a victim uh, uh, ideology, right? Um, but a lot of times, the majority of the times, the people who are coming to classes are actually trying to take their power back. You know, so having to remind people um, and use that space and opportunity as a way to 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 literally get people inside of their body to see that they're taking this really gangster revolutionary act of not only taking their their um, responsibility to own a firearm, but also to protect their lives. I mean, their own in their own hand is like such a simple but yet uh, gangster way, you know, to to be revolutionary. Um, and that's been a beautiful transformative process. Um, and, and for me, you know, as an educator in the classroom, I'd have to wait 10 years sometimes just to see, you know, uh, what students in the, in the classrooms were able to, you know, transform their lives based on the lessons that I was providing them. But now in this, in this, uh, in this, you know, realm of, of being a farms instructor, man, I see that in like 10 days. Sometimes in 10 minutes, you know, seeing that transformation of somebody, you know, um, with literally sometimes with tears in their eyes, you know, and, and pushing through um, to get to the other side of, of a new possibility for themselves and their family. I mean, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. So I've been I've been hella gracious um, and, and honored to be able to be the person facilitating not only a healing process for them, but also you know, a space opportunity for them to uh, to take that power back uh, whereas before they might have been victimized potentially. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that too. It's the pain to power narrative that I think oftentimes the black and brown community thrives off of. But I think people really need to understand that while we are resilient and persisting, like there's really a lot of trauma that needs to be addressed and a lot of healing mm -hmm. that needs to happen. Um, and oftentimes we flourish while we are processing a lot of real hurts and what people end up giving us props and accolades for um, while it pushes us forward and inspires us is also just something that could be very triggering. So thank mm -hmm. you again for creating pathways for protection, um, but also curating a space where people can be very vulnerable and open mm -hmm. about why they're there, why they feel like they have to be there, um, almost right. living their lives for those lives that they've lost. That's right. And I think those stories are not told enough, you know, yeah. um, you know, the, the people who who stand up, you know, and want to and want to do something that, that want to be their own first responders, you know, yeah. um, you know, I got I got a, a really, really 
you know, tired of going to funerals of young people, you know? Um, and there was a constant narrative over and over again, you know, like the one that hurt me the most was the young lady uh, who had to see her boyfriend get stabbed to death at Jackson Square. Um, and I always think about this story the most when I, when I got serious about teaching first aid classes and stop and how to stop bleeding was because at the funeral, she said, uh, you know, she wished that she had had something or could have done something to save his life. And it's like, yo, sis, if you had just had a $30 tourniquet in your, your purse, you could have, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and, and places to, to, you know, put pressure. And if you don't have a tourniquet, how do I use the shoelaces and my kicks? How do I, you know, use my belt, right? Like these are all different things that, you know, um, if given a traumatic experience, here are tools and skills that you could utilize to be able to help instead of, you know, having to deal with these traumas without being able to do anything. Hey, welcome back. I don't know what's going on today. Uh, so one question I had for you was, got that metro PCS Wi-Fi, bro. That's what's going on. Not even. Is that Verizon doing Wi-Fi? I don't know what's going on. Too many people out there. Um, <laughs> so you said that about 900,000 uh, women have, you know, applied for gun licenses. And the and number could be more than, way more than that. It, yeah. it could be in the millions, to be honest. Okay. So what would you say to people that are saying, okay, having all these people that, like you said, had trauma, um, who had experienced somebody being shot and everything like that, do you think they should be the ones now going out to say, okay, I want to own a gun and I want to want to own a weapon. What are your thoughts on that? People saying, well, you know, that person may not be in the right state of mind. They shouldn't have um, access to a firearm. It should be the opposite where they're going for counseling and everything like that. Which is saying, oh, the first thing I want to do is I want to go get a gun to protect myself in case something happens, especially when they experience this high level of trauma. I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough question to ask. I mean, that's like asking, you know, uh, enslaved Africans on the island of Haiti and Hispaniola if uh, the night before they were sharpening their machetes and they defeat their, you know, slave monsters, you know, do they pick up the musket and fight back, you know, for 20 years until 1804, they become the first free black uh, uh, colonized uh, land of the country, you know, it, it's like, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. You know, I, I think uh, what I will say is that it's important that, you know, people recognize and be able to understand their triggers, you know? So, um, you know, I'm really excited and, 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 and proud to be able to have made this a family business. That's why I'm just a brand ambassador. You know, I don't even own my own stuff. My daughter's got more uh, stock in the company than me. But um, but uh, my wife is actually creating um, uh, a five day, a five week course, um, you know, to deal and help people to deal with traumas and be able to look at their traumas before just putting a firearm on their waist. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, um, my awesome sister and state representative, China Tyler, has had, you know, really good conversations with me about is like, hey, look, like as your state representative, I'm not going to go against the two A. But we do need to have conversation and dialogue around, you know, you know, like um, 
Sister Bernadine was saying, like people who deal with rage, you know, can't control their anger, you know, um, you know, and now we give them an LTC. Well, I don't give no, nobody an LTC. The state <laughs> gives them an LTC. But now that they get that LTC, you know, how do we prevent those people from from, you know, going out and acting crazy? And the truth of the matter is um, in my class, I literally tell them like this. Listen, if it ain't worth going to jail or going to the graveyard for you know, be all of the names in the book to be able to go home and continue to raise your family. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and, and that has opened the door and the possibility for people to be willing to take a look at themselves in the mirror, right? And to look at some of the shadows. Um, so for me, it's hard for me to answer that question with a definitive yes or no, because I recognize it's just not an, it's not an easy yes or no, because yeah. had, had, had some of those people and a lot of those people not have the uh, had the possibility to get that firearm, would they be sitting in counseling, right? Would they be willing to say, "Yo, look, I don't want to spaz on nobody no more," you know? Or, man, I'm I'm 30 years old now, I can't just be popping off in the club no more, right? Like, like, do people get to that same end as fast as as the firearm has catalyzed that process for taking a look at self? So it's it's just a difficult it's difficult for me to give you a definitive yay or nay, you know what I mean? That statement too makes me really think two things. Think about two things. One is you know, you you got into a lot of your I would say advocacy work and allyship work even. Um through through education, right? And representation. Representation matters. So here you are again being assigned a young boy, Cape Verdean boy, to teach him how to read. And I would imagine that you identified with parts of his story, you identified with parts of yours. And so you were able to move mountains so quickly. Same thing with this with the guns, right? And the classes and having these difficult conversations with people. It's not just about owning the guns, but it's like, hey, let's reflect on our narratives. Let's reflect on our stories, right? Again, mm-hmm. the power of representation and curating spaces where vulnerability and transparency is necessary. With that, I would imagine that I would, or I would hope that you were mentored as well. Can you talk to us about, like in your journey, mentoring people who have been your mentors or who have been your supporters in navigating through this? So you said like, you know, right now like your daughter is mainly has, has higher stakes in your company. You have your wife, who's your partner, who's pushing your work forward through the mental health counseling element of it, which is beautiful. But who has poured into Doncor as a mentor figure and teaching you how to navigate through spaces you haven't even navigated through for the first time yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, uh, and, and it's, I, I, I mean, there's hundreds of names <laughs> to go, um, to go down that list and I'd be here all night. Um, and I would also feel, you know, jive disrespect if I couldn't name all of them. But what I hear, but I, well, what I hear you asking is, um, who particularly, you know, has uh, kind of paved the pathway for for my to mentor me through this firearm piece? Is that correct? Yep, through the firearm. But yeah. I would say bigger than that is also like just your your role in as a as a man of color in the city of Boston, changing the game in the ways that you do it. Yeah, I mean, um, well, for the firearm piece, I definitely have to, you know, acknowledge my big sister, Marshall, 
um, Washington, uh, uh, we call her Tig. Um, you know, her Instagram page is uh, my sister's keeper. Uh, you know, phenomenal, brilliant sister who has, you know, been sincerely committed to um, ensuring that the Black community is supported with quality firearms instructors and making sure that we, uh, all of the Black firearms instructors across the country, know and are supportive of each other. So I definitely got to acknowledge her. Um, and then I would also have to acknowledge my big brother, Maj Ture from Black Guns Matter, um, you know, who has been, you know, huge and instrumental um, from the very first time he came to Boston and I, I built with him after the event and told him my story as an educator. And up until this day, you know, seven years later, you know, he still, you know, answers my text messages, chops it up with me whenever he comes to town or if I send him an Instagram video, we build on that. So um, those two definitely are huge. Um, as far as locally, um, you know, I would definitely have to acknowledge Dr. Carol Blake, you know, for uh, paving the pathway to create the 10 Boys Initiative. Um, before him, it would be Dr. Ingrid, Ingrid Carney. Um, you know, definitely, you know, my big brother, uh, Dr. Roger Harris, his wife, Cheryl Watson Harris. Um, I mean, I, I like I said, you know, I could go on and on for days. Um, uh, I, for, for the healing work, I would definitely, you know, have to acknowledge my tribe. Um, uh, you know, the Afante tribe for, you know, constantly um, allowing and creating space for us to be able to um, take a deep look at ourselves um, and our commitments to our community. So um, I definitely would have to acknowledge them um, because, you know, had I not met them, you know, um, I think the ability for me to provide healing work would be very shallow, you know, um, as it was in my initial years at Timothy when I was working as a reflective writing teacher, um, but being able to get so deep in the work now, um, you know, uh, it's, it's definitely uh, been able to springboard me into, you know, taking five minutes and, and helping people get, you know, deep into to push through things that, you know, they didn't even realize, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting on the phone with people and they call me with all of these lids above their head, you know, oh man, there's no way I could get an unrestricted license in Boston. You know, I live in Roxbury or Mattapan, Dorchester. Man, we don't get no LTCs out here. And then I, 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 I break it down and I say, yo, what makes you believe that? You know, I'm like, listen, I, I live in Roxbury. I have an unrestricted license. I can carry wherever it's legal. Um, and they're like, nah, man, you just an anomaly. <laughs> and it's like, nah, I'm not. Like, you could do it too. Um, and I show them the ways to, to do it and get it done, man. You know, I've actually started a folder in my phone of the amount of affirmations, you know, that people have sent, you know, just saying like, yo, man, I did not believe that I could do this. You know, how many, how many business owners that I've been able to create, right. Based off of just taking, um, uh, that, that lid off the jar for them a little bit, you know, and the stigmas that they've created for themselves and being black and Latino in America, like, or black and Latino in Boston, you know, like it's, it's, it's crazy. Like I never, my mother always says, she's like, boy, you went to college and got all them goddamn degrees to become a gun teacher. Like, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so crazy because like it I didn't plan this but here I am you know um and I think that's that's the the powerful piece you know is constantly allowing um myself to to stand and and listen to people and to help you know them to envision new possibilities for themselves you know what I mean no matter 
if it's with the guns, no matter if it's even in their relationships, just different things and how they show up in the world. And it, and it's been ill, man. It's it, like the gun, the gun is just like, it, it's just like, like if we were at the golf course or something or at a basketball court, you know, it, it's just the tool or at the barbershop, you know, it's just like the tool that's being used to be able to, to open the pathway to have uh, deeper conversations. So yeah, I know you're saying that, especially, you know, larger cities like Boston, they're very restrictive um, with their rules, especially for being able to carry. So for someone that wants to do that, that lives in the city, do you think these rules are actually working uh, and are in favor uh, of them? Or are you in favor of these restrictions and these rules? Or are you more on the side where, hey, I want to open it up and let everybody, you know, that wants to get a gun, to be able to get a gun and remove these restrictions away from them. Yeah, y'all, y'all, I see the little recorded thing in the top left corner. Y'all trying to get me caught up in it. <laughs> <laughs> we out here having real conversations. So, 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 so uh, John McDonough could come holla at me and be like, oh, so I heard you was talking trash on the little commercial. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> nah, but um, I, I mean, truthfully, yo, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, the way I look at it is like this. Um, I think, you know, having the had the opportunity to to go to Ghana and and really dive deep into like African proverbs. Um, one of the most uh, uh, undervalued African proverb is Sankofa. Um, in America, they you know cut the tongue, so they just say Sankofa, um, but it's actually Sankofa. And um, the African proverb means that we have to go back into our past, bring forth both the good and the bad um, into today with the with the divine intention to create a better future. Now, with that being said, when it comes to firearm ownership, right, we have to acknowledge and recognize people like Ida B. Wells, right? Sister Ida B. Wells, at 16 years old, she lost both of her parents. And she went out and traveled the United States of America to take a deep look at lynching, right? Because it had impacted her life. And what Ida B. Wells found out is she said, yo, black communities that were armed, and and I wanna be very clear here too, that um, melanated bodies that spoke Spanish were considered black in the early 1920s. The term Latino does not exist until the 1960s and 70s. So I just wanna make sure I put that in there before I continue. But she said, you know, melanated bodies that are armed did not experience lynching, right? Not did not experience it at the levels that non-armed communities, right? She says they did not experience lynching, right? So Ida B. Wells literally said, and she's most noted for saying, you know, every African-American should have um, a Winchester rifle in the corner of their room. So if we translate it into today, she's basically saying, like, listen, I wish the clan would pull up. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're going to get a chitty, chitty, bang, bang, right? Um, you know, so I include that in there, you know, for my Boricuas, you know, um, Pedro Abisu Campo, you know, who is the first Black Puerto Rican to attend Harvard University. You know, he was very clear in saying that, you know, America and, and actually is still colonizing Puerto Rico until today. Right. And he was very instrumental in trying to say to people like, listen, if we want uh, Puerto Rico to be recognized and honored as its own country, we've got to be able to be ready to defend it. Um, You know, and I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, what he and his comrades did, uh, particularly the sister Lolita Lebron, 
Um, you know, she ran up in the state house with the six shooter, like, yo, look, you're gonna put some respect on my country. Now, I'm not saying that's what everybody should do, but I, I these are these are pieces, bits and pieces of our narratives that somehow are not interwoven into the total narrative. Say, for example, um, Sister Bernadine, you talked about Martin Luther King, right? Um, in a phenomenal book called Deacons of the Fence. You know, they go through very detailed narratives around who was actually strapped walking through some of the most racist cities in the South with Martin Luther King, Mm -hmm. keeping him protected. You know, Um, W.E.B. Du Bois, when he was living in Springfield, he was denied seven times before he was issued his license, his license to carry in Massachusetts. Right. Um, So it's like for us as people in America, um, you know, who were forcefully brought here, the firearm is not new to our narrative, right? And I say in my classes all the time that part of the work that we have to do around guns is not looking at, looking at it from the deficit. Yes, loss occurs. Yes, gun violence plagues our communities. But these are from people who are already illegally engaged in firearms. These are not legal firearm owners killing each other. These are, you know, folks that have access somehow illegal firearms. So for the folks that are in our communities, the firearm has been directly related to our sovereignty and our freedom, right? So I think as we move and transition into into the new America or this new idea of what freedom will look like for melanated bodies in this country, I mean, we have to take a deeper look um, at exercising our Second Amendment rights. And right now, you know, the Democrats are doing um, a very clear uh, job of, of, of creating racist policies that are specifically impacting and affecting Black and Brown communities, right? Um, disproportionately. And those are the same cities that are experiencing gun violence. So it's, it's not that the gun laws are changing anything. It's just making it harder for legal gun owners who are forced to live in those communities to not be able to protect themselves. Absolutely. And then we become targets and then people want to only acknowledge the rage and the frustration. Right. But not recognize that. Well, it was a struggle to get here. And again, like you said, you keep it simple in your courses is to protect yourself and your loved ones. And that's the bottom line. The bottom line. And I want to add to that. Or people leave our communities. Some of the best and the brightest of the people that need to be in these communities get up and leave. You know what I'm saying? And, right. and that, too, is a problem. And I'm not saying, you know, throw a hand, throw a gun in every hand of every you know black and brown person with a Ph.D. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is like, you know, we got to take a look at it just the same way we would economics and home ownership and red lines and in and, um, and the appraisal process. Right. Like we have to take a look at, you know, uh, could firearms potentially keep more educated blacks in the black urban community. I don't know. I would even say, I would even argue, keep more spirits alive and maintain because it's a lot like trauma, trauma, trauma takes a toll on happiness. Trauma takes a toll on productivity. Trauma takes a toll on showing up and how you show up, right? Like constantly showing up and feeling like you have a chip on your shoulders or you have to protect or you have to defend or you have to advocate is exhausting. All right. It's like, yeah, we wear, we wear our color as a badge of honor, but it comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of 
you know, depending on what you look like as a person of color too, people will assume you are a particular person, make assumptions about you, racially profile you. And honestly, you're just trying to get a donut at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks. Like you just like, I, I'm just, I'm just here for, I'm just here for the pastries. I'm not like, I can't, I can't get good customers on basics. Right. And so we have those conversations. So as you said, with like Ida B. Wells, and she's just like, yo, everybody needs to get a witch has to their hands. Right. Seriously though, like for people who are looking to own guns and, and to have the license to carry, like what is that gun that they should, like everyone should have in the corner of their bedrooms, right. In these moments to have these conversations or to protect themselves. And it's going to be kind of long winded, which is my style anyway. But um, with that, I do want you to also think about like, you know, what you would suggest for the person who has children in the house, maybe, or like, you know, people who might not have children in the house or maybe who, folks who are elderly, folks who are young, folks who are like, I don't know, like, just, just, I'm, I'm just thinking about like various examples, various types of um, breaks from a person's house. Like, is it different? Or maybe it is a one gun fits all type of thing. Does it matter about the size of your house, right? Or like the room that the gun is actually located in, right? Like, what are we, what are we taking into consideration? The size of our yard, the side of our door, the size of our doorway. Like, well, you know, I offer a phenomenal home defense course where we take a <laughs> great look at these things. For only ninety nine ninety nine. Oh my god! Please check out the Donfire. Under check out the Donfirearms.com. But not. But real talk. Um, I mean, I think Bernadine, you know, you you are mastering all of the things that these are the things that people need to take into consideration. You know, um, you know, just really quickly. You know, first and foremost. Um, I drill really hard. I even give people little cards to take home so they never forget it. You know, the three uh, basic firearm safety rules, right? Always keep the firearm pointed in a safe direction. A safe direction is deemed anywhere in which you will cause zero bodily harm except to a threat. A threat is only deemed by something that is uh, threatening uh, great bodily harm or you know, uh, something that is not going to cause property damage. Right. Um, because, you know, for me personally living in, uh, Boston, I don't want no more grandmothers getting shot on their porch. Like, like, you know, that, that for me is, is, is like, listen, if you're going to bang and you're going to have ops, I get it, but learn how to shoot. You know what I'm saying? Like, and know where to point that firearm the correct way. Um, so yeah, so rule number one, always keep it pointed in the same direction. Rule number two, always keep that finger off the trigger until ready to shoot. Ready to shoot means that I have made the moral, physical, and financial decision to manipulate that trigger. And I don't put my finger on it anytime sooner. And then the last one, to answer your question about the children in the house, um, I always tell my students, always keep the firearm unloaded. Unloaded means that there's nothing in the chamber. And the source of ammunition is removed from the magazine, well, meaning that the magazine is not inside of the gun. All right. So that way you have nothing in the chamber and you have nothing in the magazine. Well, um, and I think, you know, that is though once once you internalize and kind of ooh, excuse me, master those three things, um, everybody ultimately uh, can be the safest, um, mm. you know, that, you know, owning a firearm is going to allow them to be because there are inherent uh, risks that come with owning a firearm. But once you start to internalize these three rules, um, you know, it elim- eliminates uh, the majority of those risks. Absolutely. Like I, did you like how I did that? I did that. I did, I did. We still got to tell people the name. Like, is, is there a name of a gun, though? Is it like you want to, you know, what if you have small hands, big hands, quick hands, slow hands? Nope. 
Here's the deal. I had, I have had, uh, what was that? She was seven. I had a seven-year-old girl come to the range with her parents. They were having like a family night and they hit me up like, yo, Don, you know, me and my family would love to go to the range. We have a seven-year-old daughter. We want to introduce her the correct way because both the parents have owned guns, but they just didn't, they weren't confident, you know, on how to instruct her. So I had that little girl shooting a 45 caliber pistol. So like, I don't, I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't, yes, yo, and she was, and she was shooting better than her father with her 45 too, because yeah, 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 right. They can do anything. <laughs> exactly. Children listen, unlike parents. But uh, <laughs> but um, nah, man. So I don't, I don't necessarily, <laughs> I don't play that um, yeah, like that type of gun stuff. You can ask any student um that has ever come to my class. I tell them, yo, look, when you are ready to purchase, or if you're just interested in trying to figure out, yo, come to the range. I'll bring out all the guns you could possibly think of. All you got to do is buy the ammo. You know what I'm saying? And then we could try out as many as we possibly can. And what we what that student ends up finding out is like, man, you know, I actually like full size pistols or, yeah, the micro pistol. Yeah, it could fit in my bra, but I can't shoot it very well. You know, it's like all of these different things, you know, um, are, are just powerful, you know. And then the other cool part about it for me, too, is like particularly for women, you know, that I've experience domestic violence because I get that a lot as well and the sisters tell me these mm. stories when we're in the range you know um the the most empowering thing for me is like yo when I'm at the barbecues in the hood and I'm counting all the sisters and I'm like yo she got a strap she got a strap she got it in her purse and I and I'm that guy they know all my female uh, uh any any sister that ever tells me you know like yo she is experiencing dv before wherever I see them in the mall Wherever that, my first question when I get up to them, I'll be like, yo, where that? And they just start smiling and laughing. And I'll be like, all right, let's get it. You know, um, because it, like I said, you know, my focus is about empowering people and giving them the space and opportunity to take that power back. Uh, I'm going to turn the light on because the sun is going down. Yeah. Well, it's like Harry. What are your thoughts on uh, shotguns for home protection? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> Mossberg all day. I, I, I hear the both sides. You know, you oh, yeah. you have a shotgun because when you shoot a shotgun, one you have to remember to cock it back again to shoot the next round. But wider area, it spreads more and everything like that. Whoa! So and everything. Uh, I always get they they get it for home protection. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I. I'm on the fence about using a shotgun for home defense. There's a, a, a lot of uh, factors to take into consideration. Um, is my house an older home? Is it a newer home? If it's a newer home, it's only made with one inch sheetrock, right? On both sides. And then you got the studs in between. So the over penetration in newer homes is a real thing. So I always tell people like, yo, you got to take that into consideration. When you start working with that 16 and 20 inch barrel shotgun, I mean, yo, that junk's going to poke some holes through the walls. So I always <laughs> tell people like, um, you know, take into consideration your crib. You know, a lot of times students uh, after taking my class, they'll be like, yo, Doncor, can you just come to the crib? We'll do a walkthrough. 
And then I talked to them about their home security system as well as what firearm would could potentially be the best. I don't never make decisions for people. I just give suggestions um, to take all those things into consideration. And people appreciate it, you know, because they're like, dang, I, I didn't even think of that. You know, I just was trying to get that sexy Glock or, or as you were saying, you know, that nice shotgun that I saw, you know, Huey P. Newton with, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, I just good. I'm glad you're there, but you need to understand about spreads and, and pellets mm. and mm-hmm. is it a slug? Is it buckshot? You know, like all these different things. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 a, it's this, this has been like the most, amazing year ever you know um i went from like i said teaching in my living room um uh to to having you know 30 people every weekend um and it's just been amazing the the amount of people of color that i've had to the opportunity to meet from conservative to to libertarian you know black folks in the hood it's like yo it's just all these people that just like you know spring up out of the works i'm like yo this is amazing all these people i've been able to convert you know what i'm saying to the two-way world it's just it's so much fun man it's so much fun i was gonna be i was gonna say i was like i feel like i'm a person who's slowly converting every day because i was i remember i used to have conversations with my colleagues about carrying and i was like absolutely not that is crazy like kids are gonna get hurt life is just no 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 we we can't live in a world like that. Then COVID happened. Then George Floyd happened. Then mm-hmm. life just continues to happen. And I'm like, all right, where, where am I signing up for class? I'm going to need something, something. You yeah, know? I'm telling so, you, baby. So I know, right? No, and we have, we've had that conversation. But honestly, like, I'll take a moment to say it. It, it is tough as a person who really doesn't want to resort to violence for protection, right? Like, I, I really do want, like, I, I'm a person who's like, no, let's talk about it. Let's figure this out. But the truth is, there are some people who really walk around with hate in their hearts. There are people who really, really want to destroy people. There are people who really do not see our three faces and think mm-hmm. that there are three different beings on this screen. Like, this is a factual thing. And honestly, too, not all skin folk are kin folk. And like, People of color want to also do that to people, right? So it's 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 very real. It's very real. And I think that the pandemic has exacerbated the realities of the necessity for one to be in a position to have the right to carry. And so that's what I'm looking at more so now. It's just like you can have the license, one, and never get the gun. Two, it's just like you, I, like I, I feel like I've transformed to be in a position where I'm like, yo, I think everybody should have the opportunity to, to have the choice of carrying, period. Like whether or not, again, you purchase the gun is a personal choice, but just the, the mere fact that you are licensed to do this, somebody also can't lock you up for having a gun illegally, period. And that within itself means that you are legally entitled to do this. You are legally entitled to protect yourself as a homeowner. First of all, there's no way that I'm owning my house, paying this mortgage, paying this property taxes, paying all of this stuff. You know something? I can't even protect it. Like right. that actually doesn't make sense. Like I'm right. paying you insurance for no damage. And then somebody's in front of my face and I can't even do anything. It, like right. it, it's moronic. So, you know, we're in these positions and I'm like, wow, like it's, it's, it's unfortunately become more clear to me how much of a necessity it is. And so with that, I'd like to say, as we're wrapping up this segment, Downcore, how can people, in fact, sign up for your classes? Mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. can people get involved? Um, you know, what are the fees? Right. Like, just talk to us I about the, I, the, time is, the time is almost up. I feel like we would just get warmed up. You know, I, was, uh, I got comfortable in my seat. No, right. He's like, let me see right. nice point. I'm about to get my dinner. No, but I'm like, just uh, plug in all the information, like where are you located? Yeah, like, yeah, you want definitely. people to get 
Um, so uh, I wanna, I do wanna say something uh, to something that you just said earlier. Um, you know, I always tell students in my class, it is better to be a warrior in the garden than to be a gardener in a war. And what I mean by that is that owning a firearm does not make you inherently evil. It's recognizing that the presence of evil is always lurking. And if any students of mine come through, then it's about being the better trained person to deal and face with that evil. You get what I'm saying? Um, yeah. You know, and I have to say that, you know, um, because I say that in my class all the time, because people, a lot of people, you know, particularly for you, you know, Bernadine, right? Like people see me in the bowling building or, you know, they see me in the work that I do. And then they'd be like, yo, I was looking up gun classes and I saw you're an instructor. You don't look like the type, don't you? You're such a, you're such a peaceful person. And I'm like, yes, I am. That is right, like, but mess with my family, and it's exactly, different. Exactly, exactly. I'll be that. I'll be the white dude uh, who uh, they stole his his daughter. Yo, I don't play. Listen, right? Mistaken <laughs> for real. Wait, doubled for her. Okay. Exactly. Okay. All right. So check it out. Um, you know, first and foremost, uh, definitely check me out on Instagram, The Don Firearms. Um, that is T-H-E-D-O-N-F-I-R-E-A-R-M-S, the Dawn Firearms. Um, you know, we post all of our pictures from classes or anything that we got going on there. Um, then you can also come to the website uh, by clicking the link in the bio, or you can go directly uh, on the interweb uh, at www.thedawnfirearms.com. Again, that's T-H-E-D-O-N-F-I-R-E-A-R-M-S.com. Go straight to the calendar. On calendar, you'll see uh, at least three months in advance of all the classes that we have going. Um, constantly growing, constantly evolving. We have youth classes. We have Stop the Bleed classes. Um, we do uh, online courses where we show people how to dry fire, you know, with the empty firearm, um, how to clean firearms, um, intro to shotgun, intro to rifle, um, uh, I mean, Lord of mercy, what am I missing? Home defense, concealed carry. But if you're definitely interested in being in Massachusetts LTC, uh, if you have zero firearm knowledge or experience, meaning you've never picked up a gun before, um, I strongly encourage students to start off with the home firearm safety course. If you do have some firearm experience, I tell students to start with the basic of pistol shooting. Um, both of those are approved, uh, state approved Massachusetts license to carry courses. Uh, the beautiful thing about the um, basics of pistol shooting, it's actually accepted in Rhode Island and Connecticut for those people who may be interested in getting a non-residence Connecticut and Rhode Island um, state license. Um, we have a Utah CCW course for people who travel a lot and are interested in carrying a firearm in up to 32 states. Um, my wife has got this nice course that she's finalizing and putting together, um, you know, for folks who are, who like you, Bernadine, um, you know, who may have been on the fence before and are trying to figure out how do they take a look at some of the traumas that they have to go through in order to find that strength and that empowerment 
to say, you know what, I'm going to start the firearms uh, LTC process, right? And and my wife and I have talked about that a lot. Like, yo, we got a lot of people in that in that space. Like, like, yo, like, you know, rioters in our hood is a real thing, right? Like, we saw that million people walk down Blue Hill Avenue. Like, that was a real visual, you know. In the city of Boston, we actually went through then I'm saying the Boston bombing where we had real martial law before you know corona so it's like these are all lived experiences that we've had that you know i always pray that like yo people start to realize yo look when them lights go out and the food trucks stop coming in you know like you know you want to have something um to be able to protect yourself so uh so yeah again the Dawn firearms on instagram and www.thedawnfirearms.com go to the canada see all the classes that we have up until august and it also lists the prices i i would imagine for folks too yeah definitely i mean um you know we we have grown so fast that uh you know i could just think of about two dozen students that like have literally taken almost all of our classes so we offer discounts after your first class um you know once you take the first class with us we give students 20 percent off uh any class following that um you know, and every class is different. Uh, my prices are extremely affordable uh, comparative to the market um, because I recognize the community that I'm working with. Um, you know, I, I want to keep it real. You know, the Democrats here in the state of Massachusetts, as well as the president and the vice president, um, are talking about enacting and creating these policies where uh, you have to pay $200 for every magazine. That's a federal tax. In the state of Massachusetts, they're trying to enforce that people have a firearm insurance, um, you know, and that insurance can cost anywhere upwards to $1,000 a year. Uh, you know, so it's, it's really interesting, funny stuff that they're doing. That yeah, is clearly that cl- access. Exactly. And denying people who are not of a certain economic status, um, you know, access and opportunity to, to be able to protect themselves and their family. And that's elitist. And that's not. Um, that's not cool in my judgment, you know, because I've had a lot of, you know, uh, poor single mothers, you know, with two and three children where that thousand dollars a year for insurance is just like, yo, I'm gonna have to just use my my machete or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and and I, we don't I don't think that's fair or equitable. Awesome. Not at all. Not at all. But Doncor, thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for the insight. Um, for those of you, again, who are just tuning in or who want to support, um, Doncor is is both, I say, wears, wears many hats, um, but really, again, prioritizes advocacy and representation in our communities, I would say, in the areas that are often untouched, um, particularly with with firearms right now. Um, but prior to his interest in that work, he was also a mentor and an educator in the greater Boston community or in the city of Boston, true, truly, um, primarily within the city, uh, within the neighborhood of Roxbury. But if you are looking into the world of firearms and ownership and having classes, and even if you're just truly just curious, please, please, please be sure to check out his website, support him. He is a person of color in the greater Boston community who's looking to, uh, again, curate, curate, I would say, and create safe spaces for us to be able to have the conversations that are truly important to us and that impact our livelihood and our sustainability with regards to our self-care, our peace, our love, our ability to manage fear, and our ability to take back the power of our own communities by protecting ourselves and protecting our loved ones in a way that truly is centered around safety for all. So, again, Yo, for any- I, I, hold on. I'm just over here smiling 
Can I hire affirmations for me, boy? Like, I need this. I need that kind of affirmation every morning, Bernard. God damn, that was good. I'm just over here teasing, like, yo, that's me. She's talking about. I was like, oh dang! I was watching you. Just gonna be like. Fee Bernadine to get calls like that once a week, sis. That's healing for me. I'm about to get you're about to be in a new industry, okay? The industry Listen, just take me. I'm a, I'm about to join your wife in this class. I'm I'm a turnover. So you know, I'll tell your wife to talk to me yo, too. Something like this. And last week that I was, was the the best yo outro I've ever gotten in my life, man. I need that every week. Every Monday, I need something like that. You are amazing. You do phenomenal stuff outside the city. You are... Yo, listen, I'm telling you, you need to make that a business, sis. I'm just... That was amazing. Yo, yo, Steve, yo, you saw my face, bro. I was like, I know. I was was laughing. I'm like, yo, I was like, yo, he's gonna say something. He's gonna say something. I was over here like, I was like, I was looking over here like, man, maybe she's talking about that dude over there. (laughs) That's me she's talking about? Thank you. I feel valued. I feel important. And you are important. You are. You are a celebrity guest. And seriously, you do phenomenal work. So the city of Boston continues. I I want everyone to continue to support you and to attend your classes. Um, Because again, you understand the heart and the soul of firearms, right? It's not just about having this flashy asset in your house, but it's about protecting your heart, your soul, and your value. I would say your most valuable, precious joys and jewels, which is truly your life itself. So thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, folks, seriously, go out there, sign up for his classes. I will be yes. in your classes. Trust me. I've been talking to NFC about it already. So I'm like, yes, yes. I'm coming. I'm going to look at that calendar. I'm an RCP. Um, yes. And make it happen because we got to take and back I'll, our spaces and our spaces. And I will definitely give you guys, both of you guys, a code. Steve, it sounds like you already have your license. Yeah, I was like, do you have, you have the license? Yeah, I just got a class. Yeah, I, I, I could tell you got a little bit of knowledge over there. So I was like, I got that LTC. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, Steven, let me give you a let me give you a little bit of advice. Next time, don't cut Bernadette off because her ancestors was not feeling that, bro. They was like, oh, where you trying to cut it off? I got right off, too. I was like, geez, okay. <laughs> hey, Bernadine's ancestors don't play. They was like, yeah. <laughs> no, the strong energy out here. Strong energy out here. They, they, they love me and I love the people. But seriously, I will be in your class. I'm going to go on your I website. You I know you will. So I'm going to see how I can get some people out there, particularly like my sisters. I'm like, I need all of us to go out yeah. there. And just do what we got to do. And, and, that, and, and that's what I focus on. I focus primarily on women of color. Like, I ain't going to lie. You know, like the this African proverb that says that if you can educate a woman, you educate a nation. Um, you know, so I primarily focus on black and Latino women. And it's, yeah. and it's truly, truly empowering. Like I said, when I be at the barbecues and I be like just counting the amount of women and then, and then knowing their stories, too. You yeah, know what I'm and then you know, being able to be like, "Yo, sis, you got it," and they're like, "Hell yeah!" And then they show me their purse. I'd be like, "Yo, chill, chill," <laughs> you know. But 
it's just empowering to see a lot of women, particularly those that have been um, sadly affected by domestic violence yeah. um, and sexual assault, you know, to be able to take that power back and then be able to walk in that power. So that for me is the glory, you know, like real talk. It's dope. And I support it and I'll be there and I'll be promoting it. So I'm excited. Thank you again for joining the collective. Yeah, um, you. Thank you. log off every segment we love to thank our viewers our listeners also leave folks with some inspiration so nic take it away yes yes y'all we want to thank all our listeners uh for every week being with us i know it's been uh trying times over these past uh what year of covid and everything um so thank you i know we're not as consistent because of the covid and outside factors in life but thank you for following us make sure you do follow us online on all of our social media platforms. The Urban Collective on Instagram. The Urban Collective show also on Facebook. Tuck, you, T-U-C-3 is our Twitter handle. You can follow us there. And if you want to support us further, you can also log on to our website, www.theurbancollectiveshow.com. You can purchase gear, hoodies, T-shirts, and everything like that, and also hats to help support us. Uh, and so we can continue to do this show for the city. Um, so thank you again, John Paul, for coming on today. Right, there's an African proverb that says, until the lion can tell his own story, it'll always glorify the hunter. So thank you for telling the stories of the lions. Absolutely. And I'd like to leave you all with, I would say, I would, I would say this this quote is a pretty strong one and pretty firm. But again, we're, th- we're talking about guns here, but also talking about the, necess- the necessity of protecting ourselves and our loved ones. And so this is a quote by Frederick Douglass, who says, the true remedy for the fugitive slave bill is a good revolver, a steady hand and a determination to shoot down any man attempting to kidnap. And in our world, kidnapping is not just the taking of children, but it's the taking of lives unjustly, it's the taking of our loved ones, it's the taking back um, our rights and our, our responsibility to truly be able to live our lives as we are destined to be. And that is truly in the foundation, the essence of being human beings. So with that being said, educate yourselves, empower yourselves, take back your lives, your safety, your security, sleep well at night. But again, do it all safely. So thank you again for tuning in with the Urban Collective Show. It's your girl, Bernadette Truth, alongside. I see. Hey. Uh, yeah. No, I'm trained to go. It's about eight o'clock for my favorite show. All the latest news on your radio. Yeah. Had to start a wave that I changed the flow. Y'all know who the best is. The Urban Collective. They know we the leaders. Every time you turn on your speakers, every rhyme is just ether. See, I don't play in the booth. And every topic is serious. They don't play with the truth. See, what we do is inspire, motivating the youth. And what you doing is tiring. We ain't hating on you. You see, we taking over, do it cause we supposed to yeah. With topics and logic that'll get you up off your sofa yeah. And we getting closer, city right on our shoulders Urban Collective, we do it for the city and the culture, yeah